This week on Our Weird World, we are going back to a theme that we've done before in that there is no theme. Uh, Just two stories today about two uh, terrible people who were awful in their own unique way. Um, This first story uh, is going to seem really terrible at first. And then we're going to get into the second story. And the second story is pretty terrible. Um, a couple of just pretty graphic details uh, that rival uh, some of the worst stories that we've covered. Um, you know, I'm not going to oversell how terrible it is because it's it's not as long of a story and it's not as drawn out as maybe David Parker Ray or Joseph Fritzl or uh, Radovan Karadzic or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it's still terrible, but, you know, I think you're used to it by now, which should tell you a lot about yourself as a person so um congrats for becoming desensitized to terrible things by listening to this show uh you are now in the same boat as i am it's our weird world our weird world welcome to our weird world uh i just got back from the bathroom I needed to take a little potty break before I jumped into this episode because it seemed like it probably wasn't a good idea to wait. So just a little peek behind the curtain there. Um, <laughs> that's a weird way to start the show. Uh, this week, uh, we are looking at two stories, um, no relation, but just other than that, they're two awful people. Uh, we're looking at the stories of Mary Toft and Patrick Kearney. Uh, and like I said, kind of in the open, uh, awful in their own respective ways and uh yeah yeah we're it's gonna the first story is gonna seem like it's the you're probably gonna sniff out the first story pretty quickly um but it's just terrible nonetheless and uh the second story is rough all right you've been warned it's story time Our stories start on a warm summer day in the English countryside. Uh, Mary Toft, uh, who was pregnant and probably should have been, I don't know, doing anything else, was actually working out in the fields. Uh, And as she was harvesting whatever crops grow in England, uh, she was startled by a rabbit and then just decided to chase after it because, I don't know, what else is there to do? Um, Although the rabbit got away, Mary became very obsessed with rabbits, presumably because pregnancy hormones and they do strange things to you women. I don't know. I don't know how any of that works. Um, But then later, Mary started to complain about some severe stomach pain. And then, much to everyone's horror, she had this piece of flesh this as big as an adult arm just right onto the ground that was ooh, that's that was probably a that was a juicy sound effect um but here's the thing like no one really like did anything after that everybody's just like oh that's weird oh something fell out of here oh that's that's gross and then they just went on what about their like what's what's happening to pregnant women in in england where that can just happen and people are just like hey all right yeah good keep on harvesting these these beans for our beans and toast because we're gross 
and we think that's good dining is beans on toast gross oh, really what are they doing over there um a month later though mary finally went into labor uh her neighbor came over to help with the delivery but then watched in this just weird curious terror as mary proceeded to birth bits and pieces of dead animals rather than you know the baby the human child that was supposed to come flying out of there um afterwards the neighbor kind of gathered up the pieces and sent them around to various midwives to get some sort of explanation. Um, John Howard, who was a, a man midwife, I guess, I guess that's the name. I like, I kind of always assumed that midwives were women just because wife is typically a woman, but uh, there are men. I don't know if they're called man midwives or mid husbands. I don't know. Anyway, uh, John Howard, he was a midwife, a man midwife. Um, he came over the next day to, to look at the bits for himself and Mary showed him some fresh new bits that she had blasted out overnight. Um, Howard gave Mary an examination, but found nothing really out of the ordinary. Um, and a few days later, Mary went into labor again and produced even more animal parts. Uh, by November, John Howard had recorded Mary giving birth to three cat legs, a rabbit leg, feline intestines, and an eel's backbone. Like, that's got to hurt, right? Like, I mean, maybe uh, if I'm trying to think about an eel, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe if it comes out one way, it's not so bad. But like, I don't know. That's still gross. Just straight up bones, like straight up rib cage, just right out of there. Like <laughs> my sound effect game is on point for this episode. Um, well, anyway, like obviously you'd expect word started spreading very quickly around the village. Uh, and Mary's story actually took the entire island of Great Britain by storm. Uh, even King George I visited Mary to see what else was just coming out of there. Um, Howard, who... He is at this point fully convinced that Mary is just giving birth to random dead animal pieces. Um, and by now, uh, she, she had birthed, uh, enough parts to make a dozen rabbits. Like that's how many, I don't know, feet and ears and little, little noses and tails and intestines, I guess, like full rabbits. Um, and like it was becoming a show like John Howard was literally just inviting people over. He could time it up to just have people come over and watch Mary give birth to the, you know, just shoot these parts out like a just a gross T-shirt cannon. Of <laughs> oh, uh, that's a weird visual. Anyway, um, by mid-November. Uh, the British royal family sent two people to investigate Mary's story a little bit further. Uh, upon arrival, Mary, like, she's just like, oh, oh, you want a show? You want to see me drop some dead animal bits out my vagina? All right, here we go. Thank you, Tula, as always, for interrupting the show with your scratches right on your collar. And then you shake to make even more noise. Why couldn't you be a cat? Yeah, keep scratching. That's fine. I'm just going to sit here. Just, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep, keep get, get in there. I'm digging in your ear now. It's probably what, like ear mites or something? Yeah. You're just doing it for attention. I know you are. There it is. Yep. Good stuff. 
All right. You, you good? Got it out of your system? Huh? You derailed the show enough for one night? Nope. Nope. We're going to keep going. All right. I'm going to sit here. I'm not taking any of this out. We're just going to pause right in the middle of this story so this dog can scratch because she thinks that she is part of this podcast and she is not. All right. You done now? Thanks. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, the British Royal family showed up, uh, and as soon as they arrive, Mary drops a, just a whole rabbit's torso right out of the chute. Um, one of the men examined it and, uh, actually really believed that the rabbit had been created in her fallopian tubes, which look, I'm not an anatomy expert. I'm not an, I'm not a biology expert, but I feel really confident that that is not where rabbits come from. I feel that that's a pretty solid limb to go out on. Um, the British Royal family then returned a few days later uh, to witness Mary giving birth to a, just a whole, just a wad of rabbit skin and then a whole rabbit's head. Um, you know, and rabbit's heads, I mean, they're like roughly the size of baby heads. So, I mean, this is getting really impressive. Um, King George to his grave. I mean, he's obsessed with this woman and sent uh surgeon. What kind of name is this? <laughs> Syriacus Allers, Syriacus Allers. Uh, he was a surgeon, uh, to go visit Mary, see what's up there. Uh, Allers was immediately skeptical as he should have been. Um, since Mary wasn't really looking or acting like a normal pregnant woman at this point. Um, and although he like claimed to kind of believe her story just to try to build some trust with her, uh, Allers took some of the dead rabbit bits back to London with him and, and do a little studying. And after examining the parts, Allers discovered that the rabbits had been cut with a man-made instrument, as in like a knife, not like superhumanly strong pelvic muscles created by God. No, it was a knife. Um, he also found pieces of straw and grain in the rabbit's intestines, which... You know, I don't think you're going to find that. I, you know, I, I don't look again. I don't know how pregnancy works. Like, I don't think that like if a woman eats something that then like little undigested pieces of it, then make their way to the baby. I think the woman digests all the food, turns it into poop and then little poop poops. Probably not real poops, but like the nutrients from the food probably go to the baby. I, again, I don't I don't know how any of this works. And I'm an adult. Um, <laughs> let's see, where are we at? Um, yeah, so he found the straw and the grain in the rabbit's intestines. That kind of raised some red flags. Uh, and then a week later, Allers presented his findings to the king. And that got everyone suspicious of how Mary kept giving birth to these dead animals. And several more doctors showed up to examine her and, and see for themselves. But Mary, she's she's continuing this, man. She is still dropping animal parts out of that thing, you know? Um, and then finally, on December 4th, Thomas Onslow, a British politician, revealed uh, in his own private investigation that Mary's husband, Joshua, had been buying an alarmingly high amount, a uh, high number of young rabbits from the village market. Uh-oh. Wonder if that has something to do with it. 
Um, when Howard then found out about that investigation, he confessed that the whole thing was a hoax as if like, did anyone really believe that this woman was just chucking dead animals out of herself? Like, no, I think we all knew it was a hoax. Um, and, and Howard also confessed that he'd been bribed by Mary's sister-in-law to bring a rabbit to Mary's chamber, you know, on, on regular occasions. Uh, Richard Manningham, an, uh, a renowned obstetrician, had been examining Mary for the last couple of weeks and had already helped birth what everyone thought was a pig's bladder. So he was in on it. Uh, and then with this new information swirling around, uh, Manningham examined Mary again and believed that there was still something up there in her uterus and that maybe it wasn't actually a hoax. Ooh, a twist. No, just kidding. Uh, James Douglas, who was another man midwife um, who had witnessed the original birthing, interrogated Mary for several days. And finally, under the threat of receiving an unwanted and extremely painful operation to just go up in there and kind of dig around in her ovaries, uh, Mary finally confessed that the whole thing was a hoax. Um, she revealed that she had actually, unfortunately, miscarried a real baby back in August. And then... You know, while her cervix was kind of still in this whole baby spitting mode, um, she had an accomplice start shoving animal parts up inside her, which I don't I mean, I got to question the the cleanliness of that. Like that can't be that's how, that's how you get disease, right? Like, ugh. Um <laughs> She, uh, Mary claimed that she had been persuaded to perform the whole hoax by a traveling woman, just a vagabond, who told her that performing the stunt uh, would make her famous and that she would never have to work again. Um, and it almost worked. I mean, while Mary did become famous for a few weeks, she was forced back into her life of peasantry and working in the fields. Um, the English medical profession, as they should have been, was mocked mercilessly for the next several months for having fallen for this stupid hoax. And uh, Mary eventually died uh, poor and not famous in 1763. And I'm going to pause this episode now because I want to make sure the dog isn't taking a dump on the floor downstairs. Yeah, how'd you like that? Fun little segment break thing. I was actually gone for like five whole minutes because someone had to be let out again. But in reality, in podcast world, it's only like, Five seconds. If that art is a lie, nothing is real. Thank you, Bo Burnham. Anyway, uh, this, this, this whole episode has just gone completely off the rails. Uh, let's jump into our second story here. Uh, Patrick Kearney was born in East Los Angeles, California. Some point. I don't know. I didn't put the date in there. Um, and he just, he kind of grew up into this frail, sickly, just small, wafy little person. Uh, And because of that, he was the target of all the bullies in high school, which, you know, look, here's the thing. We're all bullied. All right. I went to a Christian school. We had bullies in the Christian school. Like, it doesn't matter where you go unless you're homeschooled. And even then, I think you should be bullied in homeschool. Like, I think your parents should, you know, know, give you a hard time. Um, But yeah, everybody deals with bullying. Um, It shouldn't just destroy your entire life. But for some people, it does. And that's unfortunate. Um, And rather than seeking help by talking to a counselor or going to the gym to get strong enough to fight back against his tormentors, uh, Patrick just kind of began to fantasize about killing everyone. Um, Kearney was also gay, which didn't help. Like, not 
to say that like being gay is a detriment, but like when you're a tiny little frail little dude who's being bullied, being gay on top of all of that does not help the situation because dudes are just going to be even meaner to you. Um, so when, uh, and, but you know, Patrick ended up kind of making a good life for himself. He, he went to college, got his degree, ended up working as an engineer at huge, uh, Hughes aircraft. And when he wasn't doing that though, he was out prowling the streets and picking up other gay men for doing whatever gay dudes do together. I don't know. I'm not a gay dude. Maybe they just sit around and watch like RuPaul's drag race or something. I don't know. I don't know what goes on. I don't know. I don't want to, I, I, I just, I don't care to know. But, um, in 1967, which, I mean, I guess RuPaul's Drag Race wasn't around in 1967, but beside the point, um, <laughs> in 1967, uh, Kearney met David Hill and moved into his home in Redondo Beach, California. Uh, that relationship, unfortunately, though, quickly went south. Kearney and Hill were fighting all the time and to just get away and just, you know, kind of calm down and, and decompress and all that, Kearney would just go on long drives around the area in his Volkswagen Beetle. And while on his drive, Kearney started to pick up hitchhikers or would just go to gay bars and persuade people to just come back with him and just have some, some gay, some gay fun. Um, after moving in with Hill, the two, uh, made a trip down to Tijuana to visit one of their mutual friends named George. Uh, somehow during the course of the visit without Hill ever finding out about this, uh, Kearney went into George's bedroom in the middle of the night and shot him in the head. Uh, then I don't know if Hill is just like completely knocked unconscious or what, but Kearney then took the body, laid it in the tub and then he sodomized it. Cause obviously, <laughs> obviously you got to, um, he then dismembered and skinned the body with a single exacto knife. Whoops. I hit the microphone with my glasses. This, this is not the episode I am going to submit as part of my portfolio to be a professional podcaster. Not that I was going to do that anyway. Not that I deserve to, but this episode, not it, not it at all. Um, anyway, an exacto knife. Uh, if you're too young to know what that is, as in you're in my generation or younger, uh, it's basically a pocket knife. So cool. Um, Kearney then had just a rare moment of clarity as he's skinning this gay man alive or not alive. He's dead. Um, skinning him, gutting him like a deer. Um, once authorities found the body, they would be able to take the bullet that was in George's skull and trace it back to Kearney's gun. So Kearney somehow became an expert surgeon in like five minutes and extracted the bullet from George's head with like remarkable medical precision. And then he buried the body behind the garage. Um, after laying low for a while and just kind of refining his murder skills, Kearney began a murder spree in 1974 where he averaged a murder a month, which is, that's pretty impressive. All right. Uh, the process was the same every single time. Uh, Kearney would go find people hitchhiking along the freeway or hanging out in gay bars. Typically, it was guys who resembled the people that had bullied him in high school. Ironic, right? Um, and then he would invite them along for a ride or tell them, you know, he would take them wherever they needed to go. And then as they cruised down the road, Kearney would pick up his Derringer 22 pistol and just shoot him in the head right above the ear in a moving car. Pretty, like, I mean, that's pretty skilled. If you're like, you're going down the freeway, 55, 60, 70 miles an hour, 
You're just going to, in one motion, hand on the wheel, foot on the gas, you know, I don't know, fog hat playing in, on the radio. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if that song was out in 74. Um, but then one motion, grab your pistol up to the side of the passenger's head. bang And then he's just continuing to maintain the speed limit. And then he keeps them, keeps his victims sitting upright. So they don't slump over so that, you know, people around them don't think something's wrong. How blood does not splatter against the windows. I don't know. I don't know how he did that, but I guess that's how it worked out. Um, but now that he's got his dead passenger, Kearney would then drive out to a secluded area and have sex with the dead bodies. Uh, when he was done, he would then dismember them with a hacksaw, throw the pieces in an industrial trash bag, and then dump the remains in various places. Um, while most of Kearney's victims were adults, he did kill several children and teenagers along the way. Um, on March 13th, 1977, uh, 17-year-old John LeMay uh, met Kearney's roommate uh, Hill at a gym, and Hill invited LeMay over to hang out, you know, because they were probably both gay thought some, some little gay fun would happen or whatever. Uh, when LeMay arrived, only Kearney was at the house and uh, Kearney was all about it. And he invited LeMay to come inside and watch TV until Hill got back home. Um, unfortunately, Kearney just couldn't help himself. And he shot LeMay in the back of the head like he did with everybody else. Um, and then as with all of his other victims, he dismembered the body and took it out to the desert and disposed of it. Um, but five days later, police found uh, LeMay's remains and opened an investigation. And when police learned that LeMay had last been seen at Kearney's residence, uh, the two just skipped town. I guess Kearney kind of um, told him everything that had happened, and they fled to El Paso. But uh, Kearney and Hill's family, they got a hold of them. They eventually persuaded them to turn themselves in, and Kearney eventually confessed to committing 35 murders, which is you know a lot. I think we can agree. Um, Hill was eventually cleared of any wrongdoing in any of this, but Kearney, on the other hand, uh, pled guilty to 21 murders and was giving a, given a life sentence for each of them. So good job, justice system. Uh, police were pretty sure that Kearney had committed several other murders and actually suspected him of a total of 43. But like, honestly, like when you're already convicted and in prison for 21 lifetimes, like you're just kind of creating more paperwork to convict him on the other 22. So like police just didn't bother doing it. Um, as of 2014, which is the most recent update I could find, uh, Kearney was still in prison at the uh, California state prison at Mule Creek. And that thank God is the end of today's stories. So I want to address something. Um, I kind of, I kind of built the Patrick Kearney story up a lot um, because I get him confused with Robert Kraft, Randy Kraft, Robert, not, not the New England Patriots. I am guys. I'm so all over the place today. Like, this is I, like I should re-record this episode. I just hit the microphone with my glasses again. I'm falling apart over here, you guys. Um, my side was cramping, like right before I got into story time. I had to make another pause to deal with that, and then the dog again. Like this, this is like I need to come back next week better than ever because this was not like from a production standpoint, not my best work. All right, super off the rails. Um. 
just got the like I mistook like I got my correction wrong. So anyway, let's try that again. Um, <laughs> I've I built up the Patrick Kearney story, um, and that's because I get him confused with Randy Kraft um, because they were very similar. Uh, and Randy will be uh, you know a, a subject of a future episode for sure. But I always get him and and I you know I always get Kearney and Kraft. Uh, mixed up and and it is Randy Kraft. It is not Robert Kraft. Uh, two very different people. Uh, one really bad murderer. The other one, I mean, like the worst thing he did. He got a illegal handy in a Florida massage parlor. Whoopty freaking do! All right, uh, let's let's see what we learned. What did we learn? Number one, uh, look, if a woman starts spitting out duck feet, rabbit feet, cat ears, cat paws, whatever, um, something's probably up and it's probably not legit. So I don't know, man, threaten to cut her open and dig around her ovaries. She'll, she'll squeal. She'll, she'll come up. She'll fess up for sure. Um, number two, uh, you know, look, don't bully kids in school. They could grow up to be uh, gay murderers. And that could mean two things. That could mean they're a murderer who is gay or they are a murderer who murders gay people or both. Um, or they could just grow up to be a murderer. I don't think bullying someone inherently makes you gay. Probably has nothing to do with it. I think he was probably already gay. Dog, please go away. That's number three. This dog we've learned today. Terrible dog, bad at being a dog, just disruptive. Um, just the bane of my existence and uh, yeah let's get out of here next week on our weird world i'm gonna try to do better because we got a big episode we're gonna be talking about twins like twins kind of creep people out um they're just it's weird how connected they are in more ways than one, as we will see on next week's episode. Uh, we got several stories. We're going to talk about uh, the Colorado twins, the Bunker twins, uh, the Pollock sisters, the Gibbon sisters, uh, the and uh, the Erickson sisters. So a lot of sisters, a uh, couple of brothers, but uh, the sisters and brothers, they're all twins and they're all connected and related. And it's weird. There's a lot of weird stories next week. Uh, really going to have you uh, leave you thinking about a lot of things. So that's going to do it. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this one, especially this one was rough. If you made it to the end, thank you sincerely. Cause this was, this was a train wreck from the start. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, Maybe don't tell your friends about this one. That one's okay. That's that's fine. I would totally get it. Um, and also just, you know, keep it weird. 